0: Welcome. Welcome to this week's Well, this weeks, this fortnights. I don't know. I don't know how you say that really. Welcome to this bi-monthly episode of the Dave Walsh podcast, Drums in the Shed. It's quite cold in the shed. I've got the heater on. Um this is a bit of a funny episode actually because it's gonna be I'm gonna record it in two halves because in the middle I am making like a weird secret appearance on um, an ex-student of mine uh, Katie Patterson great drummer, super person super positive, amazing person um, uh, she does these drum sort of hang things where her students perform and uh, Katie purchased all my, um, my play alongs my drumless track things that I have on Bandcamp um, this is not a plug for that by the way but it's just um, explaining the bizarreness of the situation um, and a couple of her students are going to play them tonight and she's asked me to come and watch but, but disguise myself so, you know, be somebody else on the Zoom thing so I'm doing that at 7 o'clock and it's 25 to 7 now so what I'm going to do is I'm going to record uh, I've got a bit push for time this evening as well so I'm going to record... Up until then, and I'm going to stop, and then I'm going to come back, and I may reflect on what happens during that thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm super. I'm just really. I'm, I can't wait to hear other people play my my tracks without me playing the drums on them. So I'm quite excited about it because it's never happened before. Um, I put them for sale about two months ago. Um, I've got about. 70 or 80 of them, and there's about 30 now. Uh, and it's just that the, it's just taking the time to mix them down and then put them up on Bandcamp. It's just that thing of getting time to do that, you know. So it's going to be a dribs and drabs thing. Um, some stuff doesn't make it up on there because some things do become pieces of music, or or they 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 I'm, I'm using them for something else, so they're not kind of being released. But most of the tracks that I've ever you know had on Instagram and been playing long to or just those those tracks are right um yeah they uh oh, they're all up there for sale and you can buy the whole pack um anybody that buys the whole pack will get a life will get the, the sort of the lifetime deal with the pack so they'll they'll basically be able to if I put another 25 up they'll get all those 25 for free um I think they're like 70p each or something. I don't know. I, I I wasn't even paying attention, really. I don't even know what I'm charging for the whole lot. It's less than 10 quid. Um, and so, so it's, I think it's a super value, and I just don't advertise it, so nobody knows. Uh, and I think I put something maybe on Facebook once, and Katie noticed it, and blah, 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 you know. So anyway. Um, yeah. Oh, there's a message now. Um, great. Sorry, I'm just reading a message. I, I wanted. To, I was wondering whether they wanted me to chat about the pieces, and I, and I may. I may. Um, that may happen. So um, anyway, the, yeah. Welcome to this the bi-monthly episode, Dave Walsh, drums in the shed, um, which is never regularly bi-monthly. So. Just feels like a pointless introduction, really. Welcome to the podcast anyway. I hope you're well. Um it's been a funny couple of weeks, very busy. I had a drum lesson on Wednesday, which was great. It was uh it was a good fun lesson. Quite a lot of um quite a lot of laughter actually this week. It's just uh, had some like, gave me some very hard stuff to practice, which I started and it's felt actually quite good and it's been interesting when you you get beyond that initial stage of fear and uh, terror, you know, at something new, some like horrific new exercise, and you just think, I'm never going to get that off the ground, you know. And then you start practising it, and you suddenly, you just see it all in a very different way, you know. Um, and that's what this week's been about for me. The lesson was on Wednesday. I did a little bit of work after the lesson in the evening. And then the next couple of days... Uh, and then Sundays, which is today, is my day off. And I was going to do the podcast last night. And this is this is kind of linked to the um, to the title of the podcast. But I'll get into that in a minute because that's the it's uh, a bit of a yeah, it's an anniversary episode. This and it's not anniversary of the podcast, it's an anniversary of something else. Um, but yeah, it was nice to have a lesson this week. Anyway, last lesson I had was middle of January, so. It was nearly been two months, but things have been very busy at work and not quite had the time to practice as much as I would have liked. Um, so I'm just going to turn this heater off. Um, won't be a sec. So, yeah, it was um, just get the heater off. It's making a bit of a background noise. And I noticed uh, last week when I was going to mix the other one down, it's a massive difference that sort of noise. When it's when it's on and it's not but it's just getting a bit warmer in there. I've not been up here all day because like basically Sundays as you know as I've said before I have a day off um, I don't practice really on a Sunday uh, and I don't do any exercise um, the only thing I do is my I'm on a diet at the moment I'm still dieting I'm doing extremely well with the diet I'm very pleased it's hard work but I'm pleased with the results. Just to put some things in perspective for any of you out there that are thinking about dieting. Oh, this is not a diet podcast, by the way, and I'm not selling anything. Um, but uh, if you um, you are thinking of going on a diet and you want some support and you're prepared to pay a few quid, um, then I recommend Weight Watchers. It all sound This all sounds like, you know, very 1990s or whatever i don't know what that means but yeah it doesn't sound very cool um but seriously i started in january my me and my girlfriend she wanted to lose some weight i did because um to be frank i was you know i've been overweight for a while not been very happy with my weight for a while um well for like 15 years really (laughs) but um yeah, the COVID thing has been a little, brought some things home to roost a little bit and, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a kind of a bracket, so to speak, health-wise, which is a bit of a pain, which is why I've been basically self-isolating um, for a year nearly now, you know, on and off. I mean, I've hardly been anywhere this year. It's so strange. Um, anyway, that, you know, leads into this the, the title of this podcast. But um, one of the things that... You know it seems to be as ever. you know as we as we gather data because it's a year now into this pandemic, and you know science is remarkably um, advanced now and the vaccines and all that stuff, and as you probably know from last time i, I had a vaccine just over two weeks ago, so i you know um i'm really kind of glad to have got that and i'm you know we're looking forward to getting my second jab and this, the 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 data after two jabs the medical advice and stuff it sounds like for me you know i'm going to be able to hopefully go back to feeling reasonably like a normal member of society you know which is quite valuable for my career and for a lot of other things my social life and uh gigging life and all that and you know there's already talk of gigging projects that i'm involved in they You know, people have suddenly gone on the phone in the UK because of this kind of four-stage, you know, bringing out of lockdown that we've got in the UK, which the the government seemed pretty committed to. Uh, And it's going to be, you know, it looks like it's like a permanent lockdown... Sorry, permanent coming-out-of-lockdown situation. And I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, people don't ring me for things because they think that I'm not, you know, I'm not going to want to do it or those kind of things. That's completely the opposite. So... From projects I'm already involved in have been contacting me and have been making it very clear that, you know, once I get my second jab and stuff, I'm going to be totally up for whatever, you know, can be done. Um, but the other thing was, you know, just the data on health and um, it seems to be pretty, you know, not so great for obese people um people that are overweight or in the obese bracket and i was well in the obese bracket i'm tall i'm in you know, 194 centimeters six foot four and everyone and, and you get away with it everyone says to me oh you know you look fine because you're tall and you can carry a lot of weight and you can really hide it um but a year ago i was well not a year ago now it's uh 15 16 months ago i was well in the 18 stone bracket you know 100 and whatever it is, 15, 14, 15 kilos or whatever. I don't know what it is in kilos, but I'm just making that number up. Uh, I know I know what my kilo number is now because I'm below 100 for the first time <clears throat> in a long, long time. Uh, and Sunday's my weigh day, you know. You have a weigh day every once, once a week, Weight Watchers, weigh day. And, um, yeah, so I'm down in the, I'm in the middle 15s now from being <clears throat> in December 20... 20- Nineteen. Before I went away on holiday, I was over 18. And then last year, during lockdown, I got down to 17-3, and then stayed there. Uh, I was eating a lot of chocolate biscuits, though, so, during lockdown. It was one of my new... I got, I got out of crisp and white bread, and I got into um, Lidl's kind of copy of the Tunnock car- Caramel Biscuit. They have their own... Lidl have their own like, version, which I'm, you know... I'm into tunnocks and all that, but I do think the little biscuit's better. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's been an interesting thing. And so definitely getting the weight off has been a big thing for me. I I do want to give myself, you know, the best chance and all that in life. And and I was just sick of being overweight. So uh, my target weight is to get out of the overweight bracket. And I'm very close to that now. Uh, A good old friend of mine, who um, I've chatted to a little bit about health and exercise, he was saying 14 and a half was my, what they call fighting weight, you know, which is another stone from where I am now. Uh, My ambition was to get to 15 by the end of March, and I'm 15'7 now, and I lost, again, two pounds this week. I'm well on target. For that, if I'm doing two pounds a week now, it's the eighth of March tomorrow. Seventh of March today, significant date. Yesterday was a significant day, but the date today is a significant day. But it's, you know, it's all kind of irrelevant, really. Um, but yeah, so I've got kind of three weeks, and if I can get two pound a week, I'm going to be fifteen one. So that's you know. Anyway, this is the most boring thing you've probably ever heard in your life, so I'm sorry about that. But that's kind of what's been going on with the with this sort of health thing. So I hope it's all sort of going in a positive direction. That's my <coughs> my wish and my ambition is to get to a good, healthy weight and get a second jab and all that stuff and be, you know, back for, back in sort of be able to just go out and not worry about things once we get to. Um, an accepted situation with that you know everyone's so dying for april you know you can really feel it now i mean tomorrow all that's happening tomorrow in the uk is that people are going back to school kids are going back to school and, and, and we're starting whatever face-to-face teaching we can do with with staff that can come and do it you know they're in the position to be able to do it and um that seems to be uh you know the it, it seems to be a signal i think for everybody that Suddenly, lockdown's finished, and where we live, we have a very busy road in front of us. It's quite rural, but we have—it's not that rural, but it's kind of just getting out into the countryside. And the road is a very busy road. It's a main road that leads up to one of the motorways up, up in this part of the world. Uh, and then, and that motorway is very close to one of the busiest motorways in the, in the UK and uh today seems extremely busy on the roads out, past our house you know we get the crazy motorbikes on a sunday and the mad cars as well um but it's it just seemed busy with lots of cars and lots of people walking about you know and uh yeah it's like i you know i thought we were still april the 11th was the uh, was the date when people starting supposed to be coming out of their houses but really hope people don't, you know, ignore this thing too early because it, it will have big consequences, you know. We we need to do this thing properly and do it right this time. Last year was too soon and, you know, we had a little bit of a respite in the UK for a short amount of time. At the end of summer, we didn't really hear in, where I actually live and 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 I haven't personally because I've made that decision, you know, because I'm under health kind of advice. But anyway, yesterday was a big... Uh, was an interesting day to reflect and today the date is an interesting date to reflect because yesterday was what I would say um, the last, I did my last gig ever a year ago uh, on the 7th of March 2020 it was at Zaffarelli's up in Ambleside a lovely place that I'm looking after to play at, you know, a few times a year not, not too often, but I get asked to play there with different people And uh, I did a gig there, it was with um, a very old friend of mine, well, actually two very old friends of mine, but one I hadn't seen for a while because he was living in Spain, Gary Jackson, and uh, the other, a guy called Richard Weatherall who I hadn't seen for a while because I just have not seen him for a while. And me and Richard used to play a lot together, we used to do a lot of projects, see a lot of each other when I lived in Manchester and we were involved in quite a number of bands together and didn't done a lot of travelling together and um he's a great old friend of mine and Gary I've known for a long 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 time and Gary uh last like 18 months or so ago decided to go and live in Valencia um take a year off work and had a great time and uh, and it was the first time I'd seen Gary last March because uh, he came back uh from Spain. Um, because he was worried about the COVID thing and stuff and uh, blah, 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 when he came to see his parents. And then he's never been able to get back because it's just been, you know, it's been impossible for him because it, 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 summer was impossible. And then, uh, so I, d- I have no idea what's, like, what's going on with that, whether, whether he whether he had a place there and whether that's gone now or whether he's still got stuff there. And um, Anyway, blah, blah, blah. We did a gig, a trio gig, and it was great. And uh, that's the last gig I've done. I did do a, a afternoon of busking with an old couple of old friends of mine. Um, Jeremy Sassoon asked me because he was doing his busking thing in the summer, uh, and I, so I did go and have a bit of a jam and play on a cajon and uh, and a little snare drum um, for a few hours in Altrincham uh, in the middle of the summer after after lockdown finished. It was in, kind of in June July. And uh, and I've 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 always said with the COVID thing, I've never had a problem with going outside and being outside. You know, I it's, it doesn't really bother me the outside thing. It's 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 the indoor thing when you're in enclosed spaces for long periods with with people where you've got to be. Well, where for me, you know, it's uh, I think that's where the concern lies for me. But going the outside thing, so I've done the the social events I've done in the last year is uh, three. I think I did. I've done three track days, um, yeah, in the last year. And and all the track days, me and my friend Murph, Chris Murphy, we um, we booked since August, they've all been cancelled, you know. So we've now just booked some more, we've all, you know, we got May and August, you know, so it's like right through to well, that's how far ahead we're looking, you know. And they're looking pretty. Positive, uh, the May ones in Wales. So I'm not sure. The, one of the major problems we had last year was we had a couple of Anglesey track days, and they were in Wales. And Wales was in a completely different place than than, the, than England was in, and so there was just they weren't even entertaining people crossing the border and going into Wales, and especially over onto Anglesey and all that stuff. So, but um, but you know, with the gigging thing, it's just been um, it's just been so weird um, to not to not be gigging, you know. But um, it's been a you know a bit of a time to reflect, really. Um, so I'm going to get to that in the second part of this. I've kind of witted on now. It's five to seven. I want to get on this thing, check out this music, have a bit of a vibe, and I'll be back in a bit. Nice one. Oh, here we go. That was great. <clears throat> that was so great. It's such a great job of it. And had five people playing on this uh, Zoom thing. It was really good, and a couple of people played a couple of different tunes of mine. And one of these, this, one of them played one of the really long ones, and he really nailed it. You know, it was a, it was a hard tune, um, and yeah, did a great job. So, um, mega, yeah, just a bit like blown away by that. Um, never heard anybody play my music before, so it's really nice to hear other people what their interpretation of it is. It's so compositional, you know. Um'cause I mean the idea the, those tracks that I wrote the um they um the drum all the drum parts actually require you to think sort of melodically or compositionally and uh, and that's exactly what the vibe was uh, with all of those all those people playing that so, so so um so great, really really great so yeah, so yeah, going to get back in the zone again now um what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, about gigging. Huh. Oh, lack of gigging. So it's just like this year of reflecting on um, on having not gigged for a year um, and what that's kind of meant. And I have to say, um, for all the kind of amazingness of it, um, and it's, you know, it's the longest period I've never never gigged for in my whole life i started playing when i was 12 and i was gigging really not long after i started playing the drums i was very lucky to get into the school brass band and then also get into the sort of the brass band in the town you know um and as well as i was was playing with a couple of little sort of rock band things and stuff Uh, i had a couple of bands on the go one that with the Powell brothers, uh, the two twin brothers, Andrew and David Powell, and their older brother, Alex, I think he was called. Uh, and I played with them. I used to go up to their house and I used to play with them a lot. Um, and then I was playing with this... Uh, an Andrew and me, this guy called Patrick Briscoe, um, who's actually a songwriter and a guitarist still, I think. Uh, i not seen him for a long, long, long time, but um, we have had a bit of contact with each other. But anyway, you know... Um, uh, we uh, we used to have a trio that was like the Who, really, or the Jam. You know, it was that kind. Of, we played that kind of music and played a lot of our own music. Well, a lot of their. I didn't write anything. They both wrote a bit, and um, and yeah, and and we we used to play a little bit. But at school, you know, I got involved in all sorts of stuff very early on. And the brass bands, the brass bands always gigged, and you know, one of the bands you know me and my mate vince walton used to play tambourines and maracas as well you know the big, the older lads were playing the drums and and it was all lads it was a bit of a shame really um and one of the great things i was going to say about katie's thing then was she, of the five drummers you know uh, three of them were female which was great so they're outgunning the males which is really good to hear um so and then and then you know and getting up and performing in, in that in that arena, you know, it's really brave as well as really positive, you know. So um but yeah, this, yeah, so it's just this weird thing of not having not gigged. And and so the weirdness of it all, but I have to say, uh and I've you know made reference to this many times in previous episodes, you know, in in talking about practicing and talking about reflecting upon what you're doing and and that whole process of um of of what it means to kind of, you know, to have this kind of, this vocation that you kind of get on with and you you get on with forever, you know, um, is that I, in the last few years, I've wanted to take some time off gigging, you know, to get some of my playing together, some things in my playing which I've been really unhappy with. Um and 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 not feel pressured into going back on the bandstand and, and you know and and not being able to kind of make that make those changes in my playing and make make a sort of commitment to different things and one of them as you know, is the height thing sitting lower, which I'm now like hundred percent established with you know um I'm so enjoying sitting low. It's great, and I'm so looking forward to getting back to gigging again in in May or June or whenever we start playing again there's a- there's a potential a gig in April um like a streamed recorded thing um which is looking like it may go ahead, which I'm really excited about uh, but we won't be with an audience or anything which is a shame um but the proper actual proper gigging you know i i'm I'm envisaging opportunities. Um, you know beyond the middle of May and, and I'm hoping it sort of coincides with the second jab and all that stuff you know it feels like I'm, I feel very lucky to be in that kind of cycle of what's going on with you know both with the vaccine and then with the jab you know sorry with the gigging and the opening up from lockdown and all that kind of stuff so um, but yeah and it's just that thing of, of taking lessons again and having time to practice and time to just practice things and, and really re- reconnect with what that means Because it's something I got really, really out of sync with a long, long time ago, in in a deep way. Um, Not not in a I mean I've practiced regularly for um, you know for yeah you know all my life really. But there's been different stages in my life where I've practiced in different ways and, and, and maybe been a little bit more focused on specific things. Um, and also just that thing of, like, the vocabulary that you become, you know, the, um, the, 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 the language you choose to speak and the vocabulary you use within that language. You know, it's quite hard as you get old to plot where that came from and how it became so established and so in the muscle memory, and then now I'm learning quite a lot of new things that are new to me and new to my kind of playing, my style of playing, but they're all... I'm trying to... I'm, I'm tailoring them to be within my vocabulary, you know, within my language, my sound world, um, and that's really, really challenging, but really rewarding. But there's going to come a point where soon, you know, I'm going to be able to gig again, I'm going to be able to go out and actually play music in front of people and have that vibe, you know. And it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting because it's going to be. Um, a unique thing that will probably never happen again is is that thing of restarting a career, almost. You know, re-establishing oneself um, as a performer with with the people that, you know I've played with before. And, and there's lots of different you know situations that I'll be playing in, which I've, will be very familiar because the people and the music will be familiar, you know, the whole thing. But what I'm hoping to bring to it is something new, you know, something different, um, because I've been working on stuff, you know. And so I have to say, in a in in one sense, um, it's been a very positive experience uh, for me. Um, just, just in that in that. Feeling not feeling pressurized into having to, you know, um, get on the bandstand and, and be sort of taking a step back every time with the playing, um, because it's just that thing of, you know, I don't play as much live when I was playing before as I as I did when I was when busy uh, playing. You know, I was playing a lot, and so uh, when I you know, my, when I got my full-time job back in 2012, I think it was. I can't even remember all that period. It's like quite a, it's quite a sort of murky period between sort of 2011 and 2013, 14. Uh, but I kind of got this job, you know, and then I just immediately made this decision to uh, to make, make the gigging thing a, a little bit more bespoke and a bit more... Uh, precious, And uh, not, you know, didn't have the need to gig for the money, for instance. You know, it wasn't something I was relying on to make a living, for instance, because I had a full time job now. And I had a good, you know, good academic job with a, a decent academic salary, you know. So I could be more choosy, if you like, Um and that had consequences because people stop ringing you, you know. And that's what happens. That's just the reality. of It doesn't matter who you are, how good you are, or how how bad you are, whatever. The people that wrong you before, they 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 start ringing other people that you know that are available when you say you're not, or when you say oh, I am and doing something else or whatever. And it and it did one thing that it did coincide with for me was <clears throat> was working. I started working with Tom McCrae and so I met Tom in 2009. Um but we did our first the first project was a was actually a French TV show thing called Tata Tata. Uh which used to be on one of their main kind of channels. I don't know whether it's on anymore but it's, it was a big program. It's like the sort of Jules Holland thing. Uh, it had a qu- quite a quirky format. quite liked it and uh and I think the guy was called Ngui, I think his name was, the presenter, I liked him, he was a funny guy. Um, he, he was a character, you know. And they had a little interview space in the corner, you know, and then they'd have, they'd have the round... Well, it was a square, actually. So the audience was on two sides and the cameras and the production was on two sides. And it looked, from all the camera angles and the way they filmed it, like the audience was all around, you know, pretty much. Um... And the bands set up in each corner. So we were in one corner, Tom's band, and we were quite spread out, actually. And then um, and then the other bands were in other parts. And it was all filmed separately. So we were, I mean, we did like a day. It was a long old thing, you know. We turned up, uh, the studio was in sort of the suburbs of Paris and me and... Uh, Me and a guy called Carlos Edwards is a great drummer percussionist. He's done a lot of, Carlos done a lot of pop gigs and stuff. a super, super nice guy. Um, Yeah, not seen him since that, actually. It's a bit of a shame. Really, really great guy. We had a great time. And we had a hilarious thing where, you know, a lot of kind of European hotel rooms, particularly French and Belgium, uh, you know, they don't have single beds. You just have two beds that are together, so it's like a double bed, but they're together. It's two single beds are together like a double bed. You know, you have got your own, like your own quilt and stuff. But you're right next to each other. Me and Carlos, two kind of, you know, guys. You know, we had to um, to deal with that situation. You know, and we were really super tired. We travelled over to uh, <clears throat> to France. they always these trips are always so long. You know, if if you've never done these kind of things, you know, you're like we. I was picked up at the bass player at Richard Hammond's house in Wakefield at like 6am the day before. And then it was like travelling down with, with our gear and then going to London, picking up, everybody else's stuff going to i think it was the joint the studio near king's cross you know where all that were where at the time tom and ollie cunningham and ollie krauss all had their gear kind of stored their their touring gear ollie krauss was living in um was living in america now and in new york and then moved to los angeles after that but you know uh, but still had a lot of gear in london and they had this lock-up thing and it was pre-tour we were going to do a long tour that year so and we travelled to London, and then it was just this—you know—mincing around, getting all the gear, everything in the van, getting everything sorted out, and then we drove over to Paris. You know, so it was driving down to the Eurotunnel, and driving—you know—out the Eurotunnel, driving down, down to Paris. We got to Paris at—I oh, remember—we getting to Paris at like half nine at night. We were trying—we were just trying to find a restaurant, you know. Somewhere nice to eat. And Ollie Cunningham's is a genius. He's so well travelled, this guy. He, he always knows every city, anywhere. You could be in the most obscure. I remember we were in Southern Ireland and we were near Galway. And uh, we were on the tour bus driving and everyone was a bit hungry. It was like we hadn't had we hadn't had breakfast. Uh, it was after the it was after the Galway gig, I think. The Galway gig was a bit mad. Uh, what was the Galway gig a bit Was a Cork gig? It was either between the Cork or the Galway gig. Anyway, we're in the middle, of literally, of nowhere in the middle of Southern Ireland, on the on the west side, and we're driving down this road. And Ollie goes, "Oh, hold on a minute! There's a great seafood pub restaurant thing down this road." And everyone was like, "What? Are you having a laugh?" And he was right. And the guy Phil, who was driving the bus, great Phil, mega guy, super great guy. We love Phil. Phil drove down this road. It was a tiny road. He got the tour bus down outside this restaurant. It was open. The food was amazing. It was beautiful, and there was a lake there and everything. I, these are what this is what touring the the dream of touring is. These these are the days you really remember, you know, as well as the great gigs. But it's all this other side of it as well. And I mean, I've been around these people that have this kind of ability to, you know, to just sort of really. Have this great memory for things, you know. It's not all just about sort of in the tour bus in your bunk and just do what do your own thing, do the show, go back to the bunk, and ever. You know, I think a lot of tours can be like that because people do long tours and it can get quite challenging, you know, between people because people spend a lot of time together and it's in a very you know a very specific situation. But we we were super lucky on this tour because um, we were uh, it wasn't that long. You know, it was only a couple of months, and I mean, it's broken up a bit by some different bits of the trip and stuff. And anyway, but uh, the sort of we did this really nice leg in Southern Ireland, and 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 anyway, Phil managed to turn this tour bus around in this tiny little road, and then and it was all worked out great. You know, just the whole thing. And uh, anyway, so it's a great team of people, and we went over, yeah, uh, found this really nice little totally unknown little restaurant could never find it now you know in this back street had nice and then we went to this little hotel and it was you know me and Carlos and we got this half half midnight we got in there two tiny beds right next to each other yeah we're we're men we can deal with this very funny Uh, hardly got any sleep either of us just like you know really hot just yeah like nightmare and it was winter as well but it was just this it was just so hot in this hotel room tiny little French hotel rooms you know um, and sort of in the middle of nowhere, really. It was like some weird, just some weird little hotel. And then we travelled out to the studio, and then we had to get to the studio at half six in the morning, got all the gear in. We had a great little tour manager, um, and it was really, really, was really pro, you know. It was, like, great to have somebody like that driving and us and just taking care of us. And, and then we just sat around. We didn't start filming, this is genuinely true. We didn't start filming till 1 a.m. That was when we started filming, and we did uh, two tracks. We filmed one was was like the single off the album, which we did this live version, and we did a great version of it. Actually, it was hard to get this hard to get this track uh, emulated live, you know. And then uh, and then we did this track with uh, a great french artist called karen Anne, a singer a really great singer really nice uh, person as well and tom and her did a duet thing and so the format of the show this was the quirky format is that tom had been over the week before the eurostar special you know got him and his wife amy got on the got on the old train went over to paris and he did a tune with karen Ann. and then when um, when we appeared on the show karen Ann did a tune with us so we did a, a cover version of um I can't remember what it was now. Daydream believer or something, Um, and they did a little dance and it was really sweet, you know. And and so that was kind of that was the beginning of this long term relationship I had with uh, with Tom and his band and uh, the Ollie and Ollie and uh, Richard Hammond and and there's also been the guy Brian Wright who's an American um, songwriter, guitarist, artist, brilliant in his own right. He did all of our. All of our support slots, and he played in the band with us. Brian worked really, really hard on that, especially that long tour. Brian was playing every open, every night opening on his own, and he was mega every night. You know, great songwriter. If you've not heard this guy, you should check him out. You know, really, really great. Lives in Nashville now with his his wife. I don't know if they're married. Him mean, and Sally the married, but um, and they got he got a couple of kids as well. He was living in. Los Angeles, I think, at the time. Anyway, they moved to Nashville, and they've stayed in Nashville. And he's doing great in Nashville, and they're both doing great. Both got their own projects going on and stuff, him and his wife. Um, but Brian, yeah, every night was doing the opening shows. so it was a tough one because he was, you know, those opening sets, there's quite a lot of Tom's fans are Brian fans, but a lot of them didn't know who Brian was. So you get these really weird audiences of some people really tentatively listening to Brian. Some people coming to the show really early to hear Brian. Uh, and then other people, you know, coming in, you know, they've got the ticket for the for the headline show, and so they're coming in during the set. And I think some nights were quite tough uh, for Brian, you know, and we, and we used to go out and watch him a lot. I used to love just watching him. Um, some of his songs were just so moving, you know, and because we sort of knew him personally as well, we knew a little bit of... The backstory to a couple of the songs you know really 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 amazing amazing uh, just artists you know people that are that uh are connecting their lives in that way and sharing them in that way i've got so much respect for it it's something that i you know just can't could can never do you know um i can just hide behind the drums at the back of the stage and do my thing it's all easy um but, yeah, but it's kind of after that experience as well, it was a big change for me. And so the, I think from that point was this thing of wanting to um, to spend some time away from the kind of what, what could be seen as the sort of treadmill of gigging, you know. Um, and I, and the, other, the other side of gigging I did was doing a lot, the jazz gigs that I was doing a lot of for years, were well, what we call these kind of pickup gigs. You know, so I had a lot of regular projects that I played. of people that I played with regularly, and there were regular projects, and they were great. You know, and some some that we don't do anymore, which I really miss, like Rod Mason's band with Hammond and Weatherall, and that the, the the previous band to that had had lots of different people in it. has Got a great guitarist called Jez Franks, and a bass player called Ben Crossland, and then Steve Loder, piano player, great piano player. Who lives down in London? Steve did that band bit as well, and it was you know really great. And then some great depths, Paul Kilvington would depth for Weatherall, and um, we get Frank Grime or Ollie Collins to depth for Hammond, you know. And, uh, and I I basically did a lot of those gigs. And me and Rod played together for a long, long time. I met Rod in ninety eight. Uh, and uh, I didn't know I didn't know anything about him. This guy's an amazing guy. Who was a school teacher, he's retired now. Actually, I am so happy for him that he's retired. But he was a, he was a proper comprehensive school music teacher, hardcore, and big guy, you know, six foot seven, eight, big, big guy, and um, really charismatic. And I, we used to do great gigs. We had a bit of a following and stuff. And it was really it was a pickup gig, but it was a band, you know. But it was very loose kind of vibe um but it was great we played some really great music it wasn't a jazz gig it was more bit more fusiony, a bit more rocky a bit more kind of world music and uh you know a bit weather reporty and that kind of stuff but there was a funky element to it and it was also good fun you know the audiences used to really just was a nice gig and and then the band became um they ended up being me and Richard Hammond who I played a lot with, one of my favourite bass players and a great, great guy, great friend, you know, great human being and, but it's, um, we do lots of like we do Tom McRae's gig together and stuff and lots of other things, um, but you know, we, we ended up uh, that, we ended up being that band's regular players and Richard, this guy Richard Weatherall I was talking about before I did this gig with one year ago, Richard was the keyboard player in that band, piano player and and uh, and they all wrote for that group. And actually, I, they they played a couple of my tunes that I used to play with my old band, actually, which were kind of suited to that band. But, um, yeah, that kind of band stopped because cause Richard and Richard both got very, very busy with other things, you know. Um, Richard Weatherall, we used to joke he was... Um, he'd never done a gig abroad. Um, and then suddenly, he got... He just suddenly started getting these gigs with this very very um a very high class very bespoke um like a cabaret band that, that did like an act you know but it was very good it had very good musicians in it um and it was uh called the casablanca steps and it was like a um I'm trying to describe it really it's like you know a show but everyone was the players were really good players uh, and they would, and they do a bit of acting in it as well, maybe a bit of juggling and stuff, and uh, and 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 so Richard ended up Depping. There was a guy who played piano. And I think he was kind of one of the people who owned the business as well. I'm not sure exactly, but he had he had another job as well. This guy, I think he was he had quite a good. I think he was a lawyer or something or an accountant, but he had a, you know quite a good other job, and and he couldn't always do the gigs. So Richard ended up Depping in that a lot, and then. Um, and then also was doing this other, this other gig with a guy called Dominic Halpin, which um, and they did a lot of cruises. They, and the, these gigs were this is not like the musician on cruise gigs. These were really nice gigs. I mean, like the the Casablanca step gigs. They'd they'd go a week, go away for a week on a very very posh cruise down the Nile, and they'd do one show for forty five minutes and have passenger status for the rest of it and get paid for that week very very well paid you know Um, he was doing those kind of gigs so you know and um, and yeah we just bought a house and uh, just got I don't know if he's got married actually well he's been his partner um I've had a couple of kids, you know, and stuff. So, you know, the, the sort of the, the pressures of that side of things as well. But it, well, Richard really got into this thing, and I had a lot of respect for it. He got into this thing of really like entertaining, wanting to entertain people, as well as being, you know, a really great piano player, great, you know, as you read, really great classical piano player, proper piano player, jazz piano player, really good. I used to love playing with him. We used to play a lot together. Um, but he also had this thing, he got into this thing about wanting to be. To be sort of more focused on entertaining people, you know, not just being all about the music, and I was definitely just a bit my own ass really all about the music all the time that 's always been my thing really and i don't think i'll ever get away from that because i don't i don't think i 'm comfortable enough on stage to be to be uh, to be able to be charismatic in that way whereas richard he always was charismatic you know he 's a charismatic looking person uh he's you know he's a good looking guy and he's posh got a posh accent you know and stuff and anybody that knows him will know exactly what i'm talking about he's very very funny but he became known as international weatherall you know because he because he was basically gigging Away all the time, you know. So Rod's band became tricky because uh, Paul Kilvington was the Dep and Paul's a great Depp but he wasn't always Paul's a great piano player, a very busy guy doing his own stuff, and he wasn't always available. And I think it just became difficult to get the, the band together. And the same with Hammond as well. Hammond just, there's a lot of very nice commercial gigs, you know. And works where it does a lot of TV things and a lot of touring show touring uh, artists sort of things like theatre show things you know um, not not shows not like you know pen's Pirates of pen I don't mean Pirates, of penzance or anything like that but guys and dolls I mean like work you know artists that do do the theatres um, with a, you know the band and and uh, and that stuff's all starting again I think Leo Sayer him and Elliot Henshaw who you know if you've not listened to Elliot's um, Interview with me on this podcast—it's—it's somewhere in the in the thirties, I think twenties or thirties. You'll find it if you have a little search around. But they do Leo Sayer, you know, and uh, I mean that's a great gig for a drummer. Whether you, you know, if you don't know anything about Leo, the the people that played on Leo Sayer's records, then you need to do a bit of research. Picaro and Gad, need I say more? Um, Leo Sayer was was used the best session musicians on his on his tracks you know and he's a, you know i think leo like say is a brilliant singer and uh and they're they're touring again uh their tour's been announced now for the autumn um the theater tour it looks like it's going ahead everyone's feeling a bit optimistic about that i saw something the other day on elliot and richard's uh socials so uh, but yeah so that kind of project f- went by the wayside and and it was just that thing of, you know, a lot a lot of the other gigs I was doing were pick-up, they're just kind of pick-up jazz gigs, you know, where you're just playing with people. And a lot of the time I I would get ring by rung by these uh sort of they did some of the jazz promoters that would bring up artists from London or abroad. And I ended up being one of the calls as a rhythm section uh I call them rhythm section monkeys, you know. One of the rhythm section players. And uh and they were some of the hardest gigs because some of the people you played with were super nice and some of the people you played with weren't super nice, you know. Uh, I'd love to get into who wasn't, but it's just not a good thing to do. But um, I will tell... There's stories I'll tell in person, but I would never tell on this on this medium. Of some people that I played with that just behaved in a way which made it or just made it all hard work, you know. Then it's no need for it. There's absolutely no need in that situation to, to behave in a way where it makes it hard work for everybody. If you're coming into a situation where you're playing with other people in the rhythm section that you may not play with regularly, and with somebody you've never played with before, you know, there's an expectation, um, I think from everybody. That everybody involved in that situation has got to give a little bit as well as take a little bit, you know it's definitely uh, it's definitely something that you should learn as a pro and have the confidence to. I remember a story, and I 'm not going to say who the artist was, but I will say who the drummer was because he won't mind um, great drummer called Steve Brown. He was actually from Manchester originally, Timperley. And I used to play a lot with his brother, Chris. He used to be a very, very good friend of mine. Me and Chris played for years and years together. A very good bass player, his brother, Chris. And Steve, great drummer. Steve went through the same kind of Manchester thing. You know, I think it was with Dave Hassel for a bit. And then it was one of the you know regular uh, drummers, that played for all all in this scene, and it was a bit before I was kind of involved in the scene, and I got to know Chris, and then I knew about his brother, and me, I, me and Steve kind of knew about each other, we never really met, and I did meet Steve after he'd moved to London, but he moved down to London, and Steve, he's so good at, well, he's so good at the drums, you know, but it's uh, he's really, um, he really got into a particular kind of sound and swinging, playing absolutely he just became like the guy who all the americans when they came to the uk came to london a lot of the americans were asking to work with steve you know because he really knew his stuff you know and he had the the gretch round badge you know and the, it just the whole vibe you know really really well studied player and great drummer you know and uh, great loads of other styles but you know, really made a kind of not a niche, not a niche for himself, but just made a name for himself. And he's regularly been in the UK, one of the sort of you know the uh, the, the jazz award kind of winners and stuff like that. You know, blah blah blah. Anyway, uh, Steve um, contacted me once because he was doing one of these. Uh, he get asked. Uh, to be a guest star rhythm section player a lot of the time. So he'd do a week at one of the festivals as a rhythm section player every night, and he'd play with different artists. So he'd have he'd have um, some other... It'd probably be the same bass player and maybe piano player and stuff. But there'd be frontliners or other piano players or guitarists who would come in and also guest with the band and be, be the sort of big stars as well. But Steve would do the whole week, and, and he would get to play with lots of different people. And it was... And I remember he had this one particular gig that he rang me. He was in his car driving up from London. And he rang me and he said, Dave, I'm listening to this stuff. I've been asked to do this gig. um, And it's really not my thing. He said, I can do I can do it. He could easily do it. But it's not his thing, you know, the music. And he said, I'm listening to this music. And I just thought of you, you know, and... I really, would you come and do this? I'm here, I'm doing a whole week, but this one night, would you come and do this one night, you know? Because I think it's you know more your kind of thing and blah, 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 and uh, it's great artists that I'm playing with and stuff, but it just doesn't feel like it's my... And I said, I'd love to do it. I said, but you probably need to speak to the promoter, you know, because... I think there's probably an expectation that you're, you know, people have bought the tickets and you're going to be there for the whole week and um, this, that and the other. Anyway, that turned out to be the case, which was perfectly reasonable. And Steve was kind of, I think he knew that anyway, but I think he was sounding me out in case I was available. Um, so it was like, a, you know, it was a, he, wasn't, he wasn't kind of booking me there then, it was a tentative thing, but it was, and I was very, very pleased to be asked, you know. Which is great to be thought of. It's nice to be thought of, you know. Uh, Just, just even that can be enough sometimes. Um, Anyway, I spoke to him after the gigs, the week of gigs. I can't remember why I spoke to him. I just ended up speaking to him. And he basically what he said on the gig when they were rehearsing, the, the the artist who he was listening to this music in the car, this artist, you know, he brought that music, brought parts, and he, he wanted to do a whole set of that stuff. And Steve said, No, I don't want to do that. I'm here all week under my own name as a as a we've got a we've got a we've got to have a bit of a compromise here, you know, with the set. And you know the artist was totally cool about it but it's that confidence thing if it was me i i don't know whether i'd have had the confidence i'd have just said oh yeah okay we've got all these really complicated music i'll do my best to try and learn it and try and play it you know uh but he you know he just yeah he he said his bit he he said i'm I'm here as well as an artist you know and, and blah 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 so i i just kind of think that it's, it's easy to forget that we should have that kind of confidence sometimes in who we are and what we do and what we bring to a situation. And I got really sick of um, those type of gigs, and it's because I wasn't being that as confident as Steve was, you know. And really, at the end of the day, um, there were certain people that I would always look forward to playing with, you know, when they were doing the rounds. If I'd go down to, like, Luke Flowers... Uh, has been doing a gig in Stoke since he was like 17, I think, you know, since he learned to drive. And very very occasionally I do the Stoke thing when Luke can't do it. He, sometimes he brings me or Paul, the guy that runs it, uh, uh, sometimes contacts me. But since I got my job, it's been difficult because it's on a th- it's on a Thursday and it's in Stoke and leads to Stoke on a Thursday it can be tricky in the traffic, you know. And I, I'm not, you know, I don't leave the drums in the car all day, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, I would get a call and I would always ask Paul or Luke who is the artist you know because they had um they had a regular that a lot of artists would go through the Stoke thing but there was a kind of cycle of them you know so um you know for instance if Paul said it was Dave O'Higgins I'd be like great I'd love i love playing with dave and i like dave he's a great guy and like you know he, he likes to talk about mics and symbols dave and stuff and he's you know and we um we both have uh a mutual friend of ours sebastian de crom we has been I mean, a very good friend of mine seb you know again another plug for my podcast if you haven't listened to the seb interview it's a really good one as well uh, but yeah me and yeah so you know uh but dave's great and um And so, if it was Dave, I'd be like, Yeah, or the late great Pete King, you know, if it's Pete, always up for playing with Pete. He was always roast, roast everybody with the last tune. And he was so cool about it. Um, He'd be carrying something in at God knows what tempo. And he'd go, It'd be all white. He'd just look over at me and he'd just wink at me, Be all white. And he always was. You know, because he's so strong. I mean, i he's one strong, it's easy to play at those tempos, you know. So I, it was always but it was always the last tune of the gig. You always knew it was coming. And it'd be you would have had a great gig. I did lots of lots of nice a few nice gigs with Pete, uh with other people, you know, on the front line as well, and with different rhythm sections. But he was always such a gentleman, you know, and uh very sad that he's passed away now, you know. Um yeah, but there's lots of other people anyway, you know, like um, Martin Shaw, you know, I play just like just really great people. So I'd always ask who and 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 the feeling was kind of mutual, I think, you know. So you get into a thing where you come to those situations, uh, as you get older and you get more, a bit more wise and you don't say yes to everything, you start feeling a little bit better about it all, you know, because you're not saying yes to all of it. And then playing with half the people you're playing with aren't very nice to you. And it's not because you can't play, it's just because they can't be bothered, you know. Um, and other people are not being very nice to you because for whatever reason, you know, they might not like the way you play and they might be giving you a hard time. Um, did you, just, you know, all sorts of weird dynamics are gone between people that never played together before and don't know each other and they're trying to make a show, they're trying to play in front of people and make music, you know. And I did quite a lot of those gigs and they were hard work and I got really tired of it. And I got tired of just that thing of, what the hell am I doing with my playing, you know? What am I actually trying to sound like, you know? Uh, I mean, I sound like me. I always have done. I sound like me when I read. I sound like me when I play different styles of music, you know. I always remember uh, an old friend of mine, Dave Edge, great sax player who now lives in Oslo, and uh, got to see Dave last uh, Christmas, actually, when we were in Norway. I went I went out for, for an evening with him, with him and his... And Kristen is good lady wife, uh, partner. They're not married, I don't think. But um, anyway, Dave came to see me when I was with Tom McRae in Oslo. We played at, I can't remember the name of the venue now. We played there a few times, two or three times. Uh, It was around the corner from where Dave used to live, anyway. Um, One of the sort of, you know, medium sized, large venues in in Oslo. Uh, Great, great back. Stage area, um, like a really nice, like a really like a whole like place to kind of be in you know, a lots of different rooms, privacy, lots you know, nice showers and toilets, and lots of fridges for food, and lots of little boothy things for you know people want to sort of work and do whatever they wanted to do. a Big area to entertain people, you know. It was just a really nice, really nice vibe in that venue. I really like that venue. Um, in quite a can I say slightly animated area of Oslo I'd say because some crazy bars around it after the show it would be just mad I mean you just walk outside and just it was just a you would just look around you and it'd be like just hilarious you know but Dave came to see me uh, a couple of times when we played there actually um because he live around the corner and uh, and it was funny because he said to me after the first gig he said I can still hear the swinging you're playing even even on a show like this even in this kind of music you still got that lilt you know, and I, I remember be, becoming when you become sort of aware of that. I remember be, becoming aware of it watching the Peter Erskine Timekeeping Two DVD uh, video in in the early nineties, and and I remember him saying on it that he's got he has a natural lilt in his playing, and, and he said that's why I don't get called for maybe more pop kind of gigs. He said, but I, I'm I'm okay with that, you know. And it's the same, it's the same thing. I remember thinking then. I have, is, that what, is that what's is that what's going Because I always had this kind of preference for... If it was like a straight groove thing, I would always just want that sort of slightly off straight thing, you know. And uh, would find it really hard to play just dead straight. And it's like, that's how I play. That's how I feel music. Accept it, move on, you know. I don't have to be trying to do something that I'm not. There's some very loud, loud motorbikes. Very, very loud. I like a good engine sound, but I think sometimes oh, I just don't know why you'd want to be on top of a vehicle with that loud an exhaust all the time. You know, um, that's why it's nice with these cars. You, can, you have these buttons; you can turn the loud on and off. You know, I used to have a Mercedes A45 hatchback, and it didn't have the performance exhaust. I, I had a choice of buying two at the time. There were there was six months difference one had the sports exhaust but a sl- but lower spec. Some of, some people I know who listen to his podcast will hate this conversation and some of the other people I know who listen to his podcast will love this conversation. And uh, lots of the latter will know this car uh, I'm talking about. But, I, yeah, it's A45. And, I, and so then they know me. I opted for the one with the more options and the quieter exhaust. I don't like a shouty car. I like a stealth car, and it was great actually because you can buy the A45 with all this silly body kit on it, wings and stuff, and it, they look stupid in my opinion. They look mean and they look cool, but they look stupid. Or, well, maybe I'd feel I'd feel stupid inside it. Um, but the one I bought didn't have any of that. It was black, and it had no body kit. It just looked like a bog standard um, A class. And I had the badges taken off the back. And then because it had black and it had this the body-colored exhaust surrounds on the back, because they got fake surrounds. The exhausts are underneath the bumper somewhere hidden away. Uh, but this car had um it just had comfort, or you go into sport mode, and that would open the valves and the exhaust. But it didn't have an exhaust button, which would further open the um and that was great, that, because, you know, you could be in a certain situation, you could just turn, go into sports mode when you uh, fancy a bit of a drive, and uh, it was a terrific car, that, when you drove it quickly. It was not the most comfortable at lower speeds, you know. It's that compromise with damping when, you know, the quicker you drive, the better these cars get, and it, it was superb at, at higher speeds, you know. It just felt really really planted it dealt with the imperfections of the road so well you know at higher speeds but it would lower speeds you'd just feel everything you know and my girlfriend hated being in that because well, most of the cars i've owned are a bit like that you know um because i don't buy new cars i buy second-hand ones and, and so finding the ones with the options the, the right options and the right car is really complicated you know and the A45s they have a damper button a lot of the posh ones the, the second generation ones well, it's, we're into the generation 3 now actually of that, of that A45 but the sort of 2017 cars to 2020 before the A45s the new one Um, some of the models have a button on for soft comfort suspension and they're genuinely comfortable like they're like a proper nice hatchback and that's the one i would always have wanted and then the uh and then having the this having the button for the exhaust but you know i don't get how people can ride around on these motorbikes and whatever they are that just are permanently at like 110 decibels or whatever they're at just really, really crazy. But anyway, yeah, that was the big loud sound just going past and it just took me off on a, on a car tangent, which I may edit out. Oh, well, I'll leave it in. Um, Anyway, completely lost my train of thought there. No, no, talking about this thing of, of gigging and, and getting tired of that kind of gigging life, you know. And so it's that thing, I got to this thing of like, wh- what what is it that I actually want to be, you know, as a player? And then... Uh, you know through the last, through the last seven or eight years I've been involved in some projects and been able to sort of explore that a bit more but it's been in sort of interspersed with still getting rung to do you know different sorts of gigs are a bit of pick up here and a jazz but I quite like that you know and I got a little bit more into it in the last year. I'd sort of stopped saying yes to those kind of gigs. And in the last year, I started saying yes to some of the really, really low-paid gigs in pubs with people that I knew really well and uh, just wanted to, yeah, reconnect with those people and, and, and get back into playing just a bit of that kind of music again. I felt like I got away from it a little bit and was really enjoying it. And then COVID hit, you know. And this kind of thing of, of, of being, what what has this meant this year? Well, what it's meant it was a, is this period of reflection, not just upon getting back into practicing and, and getting past, back into sort of having some lessons and getting back into really facing some of the serious coordinational problems that I have. And also, you know, being asked, ask, sorry, asking to, be given some really hard things to practice that are dealing head on with that stuff that I've buried my head in the sand previously. But also, what do I actually want to sound like? What do I want to become? What do I want this next stage of my life to be as a drummer, you know? Because I feel like I've got this opportunity now to to actually to not reinvent myself, but you know, maybe uh do a facelift <laughs> thinking back to cars again it's the mark 8.5 or whatever you know dave walsh 8.3 or something version 7 um so yeah it's been an interesting time and it's also been an interesting time about the music that i want to play you know because that's become even more confusing because i've now you know i've had a year out of projects a year away from playing with people, a year away from working on any sort of material with people, apart from some of the, the remote recording stuff I've been doing, which has been, you know, few and far between, mainly film score stuff and uh, a bit of other things like that. Um, and that's just, that's very much kind of character playing. It's it's not, it's a different sort of playing. I enjoy that kind of thing. Um, but I've done a couple of things this year with that, and uh, it's been great, you know, but... The thing of actually working in projects and working on drum parts, and and then like find you know having a having an approach to a set and a show, um, that's the thing I am really really excited about getting back into. But it's like, with what projects? You know, is anyone going to ask me to be involved in projects? You know, uh, because a couple of projects that I'm involved in now, which which are going to restart. One of them is hopefully this gig in a few weeks. This 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 live stream BBC recording thing, but that project, uh, uh, the first album we did, I was really proud of that album. I thought we got, uh, I thought the playing was great on it. This is a guy called Gavin Barris. It's a band called The Family Tree, and it's a really great band. Jeff Gunter and uh, Jim Faulkner. And I'm really... It's a a project I'm really proud of because I'm actually... I really like the way... I actually like the way I play on that album and it's all the things I'm talking about now. It feels like I'm playing parts that I've written. Uh, We got a great sound um, at the studio we went to. Uh, The guy recorded us there... I've talked about this... um, 80 Hertz, I think it's called. We talked about this previously a long, long, long long time ago, last year on a podcast, but... um, he really he did that sound check thing that I love with some engineers where they don't ask you to to play anything specific. They 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 set you up in a space. They come and chat to you about your drums and the and the, the mic positions and stuff. And then they just go away. Um and this is specifically with jazz recordings. Uh, this is not the same when you're doing a recording um, like a like a different like a rock or something. It's a different relationship with an engineer. And uh, the last album I did in that uh, in, in that studio WZ with Owen and, and Tom and uh, Laurie etc. It was a really great experience because working with Owain was the, was the same kind of thing but in the right way for that music b- being almost the opposite of really really getting a you know getting a great sound and working together to get a great sound. I still want to get him on here and chat chat to him but he he doesn't think he'd be interesting and he'd be so interesting. He's such a great guy and uh, I'm going to I'm going to persuade him. I want to talk to him about his his process and stuff and about his the way he thinks about music. He he said something it really blew my mind and i don't think i've talked about it before about um about w- drummers and what we're aspiring to, to to capture and what the the history of the sound world that we got experienced from you know where where we bring that kind of historic sound in our head to how we c- want to capture that in our own sound and our own drums you know it's really interesting his take on that Really, really, really interesting. But um, yeah, he, he yeah, he was great working in the opposite way, where you're really talking about tuning and, and talking specific about specific snare drums and bass drum and stuff and different beaters and all that. This guy uh, to eighty hertz was the opposite. He just came in the room and listened to me playing a bit, and we chatted about just chatted about the drums and and then just moved the mics around a little bit, and we just talked a bit more. Then he went away. And then I was just playing, you know, just getting into the space, playing in the space, and enjoying the really nice room, big room. Um, and then I went in there, and he'd been recording me. So he said, oh, he said, "Oh, do you want to have a listen?" I was like, "Oh yeah, great." And he just played it back, and the drums sounded beautiful. And I was like, "That's beautiful." And he said, "Yeah, yeah, sound great. I'm just capturing what I'm just capturing what you're doing, you know. He wasn't trying to do anything. He was just trying to capture me, you know." Uh, for that music, that that jazz kind of that, that specific project, you know, and he was the same with Jeff with the bass. Uh, sorry, with the sax, and he was the same with Gavin with the bass, and and Jim, you know, was amping up in another room, and so um, even though we were recording it all on cans, and Jeff, we couldn't see Jeff because um, he was re- he was in a he was in a booth that we couldn't get eye- I couldn't get eye contact. The other guys could, but. It was fine because of the way in which you got everything to sound in the cans, you know. It was just very natural vibe, you know. And uh and so like that that project is something I was really proud of the way the the album sounded and the playing on it and everything and and um and so, you know, from that, I'm hoping that's gonna kind of resurrect itself and you know, the material is gonna go carry on in the same direction, you know, and uh and It'd be, you know, just be great to, yeah, get get kind of playing with that mu- that kind of music again, um, and then there's a couple of other things that I've been, you know, working on that is in different stuff, um, different styles and what have you, which are hopefully going to kind of do some more with maybe this year. Um, but yeah, it's like, what are the, what are the projects going to be, and, and am I going to be able to bring a whole new? It's that thing when you've been practising a lot and you're trying to get over some problems in your playing. Mine are are all coordinational, mainly, you know. Um, My technique's pretty good. It's not brilliant, but it's pretty good. It it gets me through most things, but the coordination certainly doesn't. I'm just really excited about bringing a new me, in that sense, to that music and to those parts and being able to, you know... um, be able to approach things with a new flexibility Um, but it's funny when you learn new things and you probably all have this experience as well but I was reflecting yesterday I was practicing uh, something yesterday that John Riley gave me like this week um, and it's a nightmare because I'm trying to get to this left foot clavier thing as you know I made a commitment at the anniversary edition of this podcast in November I said by next November I'm going to play something on the podcast using left foot clave and uh sergio uh, gallardo uh, a very good friend of mine um was we were talking about some stuff on um on whatsapp a few weeks ago and he was showing me some patterns and that had this clave thing going on but it wasn't in the left foot Um, but it's a nice nice exercise anyway i I went to john riley i I saw him a few years ago at a workshop and he, he was talking about Practicing this Ted Reed stuff uh, in in a, in a Latin way, not in a jazz way. And one of the things he did was he played this stuff with left foot clave, rumba clave, you know, 3-2 two or 2-3. Two, and and so when I had my last lesson in uh, January, I said to him right at the end, I said, next time I want to talk to you about this thing. And he remembered when I had my next lesson, he was like, you wanted to talk about this left foot clave thing. And I was like, well, yeah, I just wanted to make sure I understood the concept. But then he said, well, actually, he showed me three or four of these really nice patterns. Because his main thing was saying, he was saying, do you play clave with your right hand? And I was like, no, but Sergio does because he's left-handed. So Sergio plays all the parts the other way around, but plays right-footed. And they sound so funky, you know, because he's playing clave with the right hand and he's playing different patterns, um so much more advanced at it than I am, and the patterns he's playing and what he knows about the music is, is so much more advanced. He's not playing cascada clavitumbao, he's playing he's playing some stuff that's more you know, newer and more developed than that. Uh, but the parts are the opposite way around. And John Riley said to me, he said, Well it's funny isn't it, because if we were in Cuba and we started playing the drums and somebody said to us play clavo, we'd just play it with our right hand, wouldn't we? But we we end up because we learn those the cascada clave tumbao pattern thing we end up learning clave with the left hand and i've got quite good with clave with my left hand I, I i play songo and i'm I'm quite good at playing the ghosting thing and getting the clave into the ghosting with the left hand and playing quite flexibly between six eight and four four and you know get putting accents in where i want that all reflect the clave uh, it's the same when I play samba partido and that kind of stuff I, again it's like they've got the flexibility in the left hand to bring out the partido whether it's forward or reversed you know um, but he was like well practice these exercises with the clave with the right hand and play this in the left foot the minims you know and uh, he showed me two or three patterns that I, uh, I kind of got, I've got them sort of down already, which uh, they weren't too complicated, but it's weird playing clobber in the right hand, you know, I can kind of see the appeal of it now. Um, but then he was like saying, but if you want to get the left foot clave stuff together, then you want to go back to tra- practicing these exercises with two different types of left foot clave. I'm not going to go into what they are because it's kind of his information and, you know, and it's a thing, you know, I think in the lessons, I don't want to get into that kind of detail. But it was like, oh, yeah, oh that's horrendous. That's a nightmare. And he was laughing and he said, I'll see you in a year, you know. Because it's a lot of work. But actually, it's not a lot of work. I got I got on with it and actually started to feel quite quickly. Like, um, like felt quite differently about what the clave is as opposed to, put, you know, putting this part on this little pedestal. It's just thinking about things. Like I always say, and I've said so many times on this podcast about people getting into playing stuff. There's different ways of getting into things and wanted to think about them as stickings, you know or patterns that have stickings. So instead of going, oh, I'm playing left foot clave and I've got to put these things in with the left hand and the right foot in between, it's just patterns, you know, that so happen to be consistently, the left foot is always playing this thing within the patterns. It always ends up landing on the one, the two-hand, the four-hand, and two and the three, you know, if you're playing three-two rum clave. Uh, and if it's in triplets, it's slightly different, but... Um, but yeah, I kind of my I've had a reset in my head about what that means and what I'm going to be practicing. And it's quite exciting, you know. And that's one of the that's one of the things I really love about, you know, having these doing having these lessons and approaching things in this way. Um so um so yeah, I've got plenty of stuff to be getting on with. And and it's like almost feels a bit scary that actually things may return to some kind of normality within the next two or three months. So I'm going to be gigging and I'm going to be like, I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss this opportunity to practice. So the next thing is going to be the readjust, you know, uh, because I'm going to go, start going back to work as soon as I can and start teaching face to face as soon as I can, as soon as I feel, you know, when I've had my second vaccination and all that stuff and feel. Uh, and, and like, certainly from next, what well, I would say, the academic year in the UK, from next September, um, I would hope and be expecting to just be going to work, you know, um, and teaching face to face. Now whether the online thing continues for other stuff, I, I I suspect that will be the case through next winter. Um just to see, you know, because COVID's not going to go away, is it? It's gonna be around, and obviously the data will show how long the vaccines are um, you know, keep you safe for and also how people respond to the vaccine how safe he keeps people do we have these terrible upturns in cases in the colder weather and all that stuff we're coming out of the colder weather now you know i mean here it's really cold tonight in this in the drum shed but generally the temperatures have gone from minus five here to plus nine in the last two weeks that's a big you know it's a big big move we have koi carp in our garden in a pond and the koi were well and truly at the bottom of the pond now they're coming up in the day and having a bit of a I breathe and looking around a bit and uh, we'll start feeding them again soon you know in the next few weeks but yeah it's going to be like you know getting back into gigging getting back into that way of life and then it's finding a balance you know like finding a balance with carrying on practicing carrying on having the lessons the accountability and making it meaningful you know because you've got to, it's got to be meaningful, hasn't it? You know, having having lessons like that, it's got it's got to be a meaningful thing that that you you work towards, you know, you work towards something for somebody, just as a line in the sand. You know, this year for me, um, later in this year, I'm going to start studying some transcriptions again properly. Um, I've got a real eagerness for that because I've got an eagerness to learn some new vocab, you know. And that's the best way, really. And and transcription has this kind of, you know, a lot of people are quite afraid of it, or it has a big, it's a big word, it's a big thing. It's, It's not. It's important. But you don't have to be afraid of it. You can approach it in whatever way you want. But it's just understanding why, why are you doing this? What do you want to get out of it? What are you trying to assimilate? What's the reasons why you're trying to assimilate this vocabulary from this other person? What is it that interests you about it? What is it that turns you on about this playing? You know, because that the answer to why you're doing it is in that and the answer to what it's going to give your playing, you know, we, we, none of us transcribe to to just simply copy and sound like somebody else. I mean, I don't think that's actually possible anyway. It's impossible to sound exactly like somebody else, I think, you know. Some people have a damn good go of it, you know, but I think at the end of the day, when you're on a stage playing in front of people and they can see you, then what their opinion about how close or whatever you are, whether someone's you know, calling you a clone or calling you or whatever, they're at least seeing you and having the option to, to make that decision, you know. Uh, but it's... I mean, I'm not that good at copying. I'm pretty good. I'm good at teaching people to uh, understand what they're trying to assimilate. Uh, that's one thing I'm good at teaching because I'm always amazed at what drum students don't even hear in the detail. You know, and transcription for me is is generically a a three stage thing. You know, there's 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 an initial learning the material stage, and people have different approaches to that. And and you can you know that's up to you how you want to do that. Some people like to slow things down. Some people like to do things in bits, like bit by bit by bit by bit. Some people like to just play over a bit, you know, like a longer section round and round, and just try and copy it. Some people like to write it down before they even play a note. Some people like to get into sort of playing it a bit on the instrument but then write it down as they're doing it and write the stickings out and work it all out. You know, there's all sorts of different ways. But one thing that you're doing is is you're stretching or training the muscle that does that when you do that process. And if you feel it's difficult at first... It will definitely get easier if you stick to your approach and you do enough of it. It's like anything in life. If you actually practice it, if you do it enough, it gets easier. And get over the pain of the initial hard work. Get over it, people. Just get into something. Commit. I'm telling you, you, the, the rewards are so great. If you just stick at something... You know, you can achieve anything you want if you really stick at it. If you've got a really clear idea of... It's just having that clear idea of why you're doing something a lot of the time. You know, I think that's what a lot of people get lost in. There's so many different things to do and it's so overwhelming that they just don't do anything. Become get into this kind of state of kind of inertia, you know, like, oh, I just, I just can't do anything. I'm just moving along forward. All these things are flashing by me, you know. I don't know what to do with any of it. It's like, well, pick something you know cuz all the great players did all all the great players that i know uh, of all different ages of all different styles of music by the way i'm not just talking about all the old guys or the old brigade i'm talking about all sorts of different people they all really studied specific things that resonated with them you know and they did a great job of 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 gleaning whatever information out of uh, that out uh, of whatever it is they were trying to understand, you know, for themselves and about what it gave their playing, and then they, you know, I, I certainly find it easy to take things and and then uh, fashion them into my own way. One one is because I sound like me anyway, so I have I have a sound on the instrument that is definitely I have a sound. I know it's I can recognize my own sound, and uh, you know, even when I'm playing it on records, if I hear something where I've been playing, um, so. You know, I don't have a fear of becoming like a clone of anybody because it's never going to happen because I'm too kind of you know single-minded and uh, selfish, self-centred, all that stuff in my own plane. Um, And I'm not very good at it as well. That's the other side of it. And I'm so grateful for that, you know, for not being a great copier. Um, So the transcription thing is something I'm going to do and it's something I'm definitely going to talk with him about at some point about sort of finding the right sort of transcriptions. Um, But he's very, very good at um, at you saying, I want to get this thing together. And you expect... like, I was expecting him to say, well, you know what you've got to do with Ted Reed. This is the concept. You know what all the, you know what these three different approaches are with the left foot, and you know what the, the 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 other approaches are with the right cymbal and with the snare drum, with the hand-to-hand stuff and the quaver stuff and all that stuff to get the latin thing together. Um, this is how I'm playing the left foot when I'm doing the splashdown. You know, it was like a mechanics thing. And go away and practice it. And that's not what he said. He said, well, actually, you want to go away and practice this. Uh, and then he gave me this other horrendous exercise, this, tr- this crotchet triplet thing, um, which I've kind of got together quite quickly. But it was it's tricky, you know, and it's just like a slightly less natural thing than the previous crotchet triplet thing that he gave me, which I got together very quickly and actually, you know, got on top of, and was surprised at how quick I got on top of it. But again, it's just this thing of of making sure that the left hand the left foot or the right foot and the right hand because the right hand's doing different things ostinatos and things is um is is focused on being able to do a specific thing within the division of the music that you're playing and um and so i was reflecting last night after all these things which is the original point of this was on this one exercise that i was practicing about two and a half months ago i practiced quite a lot over christmas And just how nowhere I was with it and how awkward it was. And now I'm playing it. I can just play it off the bat and it feels like I've been playing it forever. Like It's like something I've been playing my whole life. And it's that thing of, you know, you realise that you have all this stuff that you can suddenly do which feels like you've been doing it forever, you know. And that's what we forget. And we bring that stuff... To the you know playing situations that we're in, the, you know, and and, uh, and it's like just appreciating I've got all this other stuff I can do now, even though it feels old to me. I don't mean old like worn out. I just mean like a like an old friend, you know. And it's quite a lot of these patterns feel like that now, which is great, and it's just part of that process. So I really would encourage you, you know, you just. If you if you're one of these people that gives up in that process very quickly because it's because it feels like hard work, then it's it's always going to feel like that. You know, we're you know if we play if we play any instrument, I mean, me may not be a drummer listening to this. I don't know if any non drummers listening to this, but whatever instrument you play, if you're good at it, you're going to have some natural ability. You know, and I definitely rested on the laurels of that for a long, long time. Um, I know that I'm a natural drummer. There is arguments of nature and nurture and all that stuff. I feel it's genetic. I just do. It's in part of my family tree that's not connected to me socially in any way. Um, but it's connected to me genetically, and it's in that family tree. It's quite strongly and, and especially the jazz thing specifically. You know, jazz drums and jazz piano and big band music and stuff is in is in another is in another branch of my family. But it's not in my direct family. My late mother and uh, father, neither of them were music, played music, or had anything to do with music. And uh, and the grandparents of both both sides didn't. But my mother's uh, my grandfather on mother's side's brother that whole family tree is very, very musical, very jazz and drums and piano, but drums particularly, you know, great uncle drummer and second cousin drummer, you know, so who's very similar age to me, Andy bold, um, who lives, uh, down in Altrincham, you know, and, uh, and yeah. And so me and Andy are kind of in, you know, same family, uh, tree, but, uh, never met any of that side of that family. So, um, So I I do believe it's genetic, but it's very, very easy to just not do anything when you can, and you're naturally kind of talented and can play an instrument. You know, you know. if you've listened to that early podcast I was talking about, you know, people who've listened to that know the story that when I first sat down as a real drum kit, I could play the drums and I could play the drums in a what I would consider to be a, a reasonably sophisticated way because I could hear it and I knew what it was before before I played the drums, you know. I'm not saying I was amazing or I am amazing or whatever. I'm just saying it's a natural thing for me. And it made me lazy um, through many periods of my life, you know. Uh, Me and my mate Max Beasley Jr., we we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago and we chatted. We were talking about when we were at school and we were just saying that we were really great blaggers. We were really good sight readers. I was a terrible tune sight reader, but he was very, very good at tune, but he was also very good at reading new other things. And we both, you know, we were doing other things and we're into music and we were playing and doing lots of projects and playing music and stuff. And we were practicing, I was practicing a lot of drum kit, but the percussion stuff I wasn't practicing at all, you know. I was practicing loads of snare drum. And I liked the Timps, and the Timps kind of was a bit like drum kit. And, I, and, it's, and I'm repeating myself, I've had these conversations before, but we definitely, we definitely used the art of the bullshit. Pardon my, you know, but we did the blagging it. You know, we definitely rested on those laurels a little bit. And I think that, you know, I didn't work hard enough. And if I'd done all, a lot of the stuff I've done now, uh, then, I'd have been a much better player. But the problem was I really wasn't ready for it then. As Egotistically, you know, specifically, it was all too painful. And I just wanted to play and enjoy music. And I wasn't ambitious either, never been ambitious. So... That side of things is, is if you know, if you've got an ambition as well, that definitely, I think that definitely drives you, and it definitely makes you, um, you know, uh, yeah. focus on certain areas of your artistry, you know. And it's not, I, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I'm not, I'm not saying it. As I'm, as I'm dissing it. I just was never ambitious. I just wanted to play the drums socially with people. I just wanted to play music, and uh, I wasn't even that bothered about like traveling and stuff. I, I just wanted to, you know just be able to make a living out of playing the drums. Um, and I wasn't even interested in teaching then when I was younger. I just wanted to learn to play the drums and go out and play with people and have that experience. And, you know, the teaching thing came later to me with blah, 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 blah which is now what I'm involved in. And I, I love teaching now and I would, I'll would, i always teach now. Um, whatever happens in my life, you know, with, with work or my job or whatever, I will, I'll still always want to teach, you know. Um, so... But it's that thing again of you know this feels like a like a chance to re um to reset and restart um so it's quite an exciting time, so yeah, the next i think the next few months of these podcasts are gonna be a bit more focused on that, you know um but it's exciting times and hopefully yeah exciting times that we may be you know coming out of this thing finally um but it's amazing to think it's been a year it's a year yesterday i was going to do the podcast last night because it was actually a a year yesterday you know the saturday to the saturday you know the gig was at Zephyr's on a saturday night 7th of march but i decided no i'll do it on the date i'll be pedantic and do it exactly a year you know um but well, yeah, year without gigging. Uh, well I did have this one little busky thing I did with Jeremy and, and, and a couple of other people. Uh, but that was just that was just a bit of fun playing outside and stuff. And I wasn't playing a kit anyway. I wasn't actually playing a bass drum or anything, you know, actually playing the drums. Um so yeah, what a what a what a crazy time it's been. Um but you know, staying positive in it has been the the thing that's kept me sane. Definitely kept me sane. Uh trying to make the most of staying positive and trying to be positive with my students as well and they they're all so positive and so cool about it all I'm so impressed with them this the way they've dealt with this and I you know I let them do my lessons every week online and it's been all year like that since September and they've been they've all really worked hard they're getting on with stuff and and they just come each week and I've not had one of them ever moan about anything. Uh, with the drums and practicing, they might, you know, it might be a bit, you know, a bit bored. Of this, that, and the other. And the, the third lockdown here was a bit of a drag for everybody. But you know, they all, they all practiced, oh. and they all had time off as well. I was really pleased. Some of them just took time off of Christmas. They just decided to go home and just chill, and they did, you know, and good for them. And it was really great way for them to recharge the batteries. Actually, you know, I spent most of this Christmas because me and my other half, we don't really. You know, we're not, we're not Christmas people, you know. And I and mean, there was nowhere to go this year. Um, we had one Christmas meal, which was our one allowed Christmas meal, uh, which we did. Um, so I just spent the rest of Christmas, I just spent practising, uh, just really getting on with it. And it was great. I really enjoyed it. Not doing too much, just, you know. And um, and then balancing it out with, with some other things. you your yin to yang and all that stuff a bit of balance in life. You know, it's all cliche, but it's very important. So, you know, if your hobby's the drumming, then make sure you do enough of it for whatever your professional life is, uh, you know, is 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 preoccupying you and maybe sapping you a bit of energy. If your life is music, then have a hobby. Have a good hobby. Well, I've not been driving. I've been DIY has been my hobby. My, my next thing is, is fixing our central heating the the, um, the pressure diaphragm thing in our central heating as well it went ages ago i finally discovered it's really definitely gone um, it's got a pressure valve on it which has half water half one psi you know no sorry one bar not one psi one bar and uh, yeah pressing the valve water's just flying out of it so the diaphragm's gone so i've decided Instead of paying someone 250 quid to come and repair it, I'm going to have 24 pounds. I'm going to do it myself, you know, because it's like, let's see. If I end up with a flooded house and no um, central eating, that will be me and the doghouse for 10 years, but um, we'll see how we get on. You know, so, but yeah, I think you just got to try these things, haven't you? Be brave. Be brave, people. That's all I say. Be brave when you're playing and be brave in other parts of your life. So uh, anyway, I'm going to call it a day there because I'm really hungry and I don't have my tea yet. So um i will be back in a couple of weeks so take care keep safe and it's bye for now